Welcome to Kids Corner with Dr. Liz. I am Liz Mumper, a pediatrician in Central Virginia with 42 years of experience. Today, I want to share with you some of the concerning side effects we're starting to see with people who are getting COVID vaccine. The focus here is going to be on the use of COVID jabs in the pediatric population. And there are concerning side effects from so-called COVID vaccine. Here's a paper looking at serious adverse events of special interest following mRNA COVID vaccination. And the reality is, is that this is starting to be recognized in the medical literature. These authors who published in the journal vaccine showed that combined, there was a 16% higher risk of serious adverse events in mRNA vaccine recipients compared to controls. The risk difference was 13.2 with a risk ratio of 1.16. These excess risks showed the need for a formal harm-benefit analysis, particularly those that are stratified according to the risk of serious outcomes, things like age and whether or not you have comorbidities. Now, there are some caveats about this study, lest we apply it directly to children. The study was in adults, not in kids. There was a relatively wide confidence interval for the risk difference, so the results may not be confirmed with other studies. But the risk ratio has a pretty tight confidence interval, and it shows a small but concerning increase in very serious adverse events. So again, we think that the risk-benefit analysis needs to be looked at specifically stratified for age and for other risk factors, including other comorbidities. This is a letter from Dr. Latipo, who is the Surgeon General in Florida. He is trying to get the attention of government agencies about the dramatic increase in adverse events he has seen in his state of Florida. For example, he states that concerns about vaccine side effects are corroborated by the substantial increase in VAERS reports from Florida and includes life-threatening condition. Theirs is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. He says we've never seen this type of response before following mass vaccination campaigns. In Florida alone, he says, we saw a 1,700% increase in reports after the release of the COVID-19 vaccine compared to an increase of only 400% in vaccine administration in the same period. He goes on to say that the reporting of life-threatening conditions increased 4,400%. Clearly, this needs to be taken very seriously and investigated thoroughly. Some of the serious side effects that have been reported so far in pediatric patients include myocarditis and pericarditis, which is inflammation of the heart or the sac around the heart. Guillain-Barre syndrome, which can cause an ascending paralysis, transverse myelitis, which can cause neurologic abnormalities, autoimmunity to various body parts, menstrual abnormalities in the teens, blood clots, bleeding disorders, thrombocytopenia, which is a low platelet count, and strokes. If you look at these two charts, you can see that the relative amount of information on file for the 10 years previous to the rollout of the COVID injections was fairly stable. And then there was this hockey stick type of increase or 1,402% increase in the 
content of the zip file from 1920 to 21. If we look at the relative numbers of theirs identification numbers and cases, we see this 1307% increase from 2020 to 2021. So the patients are reaching out to report adverse side effects. And our estimates are that theirs only captures about 1% of actual adverse events. Now, just because something is temporally associated with a vaccine does not prove causation. But the Bradford Hill criteria are criteria used as an epidemiologic tool to examine the likelihood of causation. So in addition to the temporal relationship, the timing, we look at the strength of the relationship, whether or not there's a dose-response relationship. Is there a plausible mechanism by which these injuries could happen? You know, does what we know about the mRNA, the lipid nanoparticles, and the spike protein suggest ways they could be damaging? Are there alternative explanations for what's happening? All that can be taken into account. And when you do and look carefully at the issue, I think the evidence falls on the side of causation. You can see that in children in particular, when their VAERS events are reported, their disabilities have the onset in 24 hours for 73% of them. So that is a strong temporal correlation, which would lead us to look into these cases with the other criteria. VSAFE was a phone app that was given to about 10 million people who got the vaccine early on in the rollout. And of the 10 million users so far, 782,913 individuals, over 7.7% of the VSAFE users had a health event that required them seeking medical attention, going to the emergency room, or being hospitalized. When we look at the Pfizer-BioNTech trial in kids, we see that the degree of reactogenicity with severe grade greater than or equal to three reactions compared to the unvaccinated cohort was significant, 10.7% as opposed to 1.9%. This does not include one trial participant who actually developed symptoms within 24 hours of her jab. She now has intestinal paralysis requires a feeding tube, and is unable to walk. We'll talk about her case in a minute. Myocarditis and COVID mRNA vaccines. In the 12 to 17-year-old male cohort, the risk of myopericarditis is at least 11 times higher than the background rate. So when you look at the chart here, and this was made known to the CDC, presented June 23rd, 2021, in the age group from 12 to 17-year-olds, in males especially, we would have expected 1 to 12 cases of myocarditis within terms of all these people considered. And what was observed was 132 cases. Similarly, in the 18 to 24-year age range, we would have expected 2 to 25 cases in this number of doses given, and it ended up being 233. So clear increases in the amount of myocarditis. Now, I listened to this meeting, and the people presenting were hoping it was a kinder, gentler, milder kind of myocarditis. But nonetheless, a significant number of young men, many of whom were athletes, have suffered significant heart damage 
requiring medication for three to six months, limitation of their activity, having to give up their beloved sport. And I think it is a very serious concern. Neurologic effects of this particular jab include Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is an ascending paralysis, meaning that it starts in the feet, works up the legs. Sometimes it goes up into the chest where it affects the respiratory muscles and makes it difficult for the patients to breathe. In pediatric patients, we've also seen cases of transverse myelitis in which there is inflammation around the spinal cord. This can lead to loss of pain sensation. It can make it hard for the patient to determine the difference between hot and cold. It can lead to loss of motor function, difficulty determining your position in space, and trouble processing the sensation of vibration. POTS is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome associated with hypotension or low blood pressure. This can happen with COVID itself. It can happen with long-haul COVID, and it can happen with the COVID jabs. Most of the data that I found so far has focused on adults, but clinically, from our experience, teens seem to be at particularly high risk and may present with symptoms like dizziness and fatigue and heart palpitations, as well as shortness of breath. Here is the case of Maddie DeGarry, which I think is a very important case because when Maddie was 12 years old, she heard about the vaccine trials at Cincinnati Children's and signed up as a test subject. Her symptoms started within 24 hours of her jab. She's now paralyzed from the waist down. She has great difficulty swallowing food and water and requires a feeding tube. She needs a wheelchair or a walker to get around. She was having 20 or more blackout or fainting episodes a day at one point. I had met Maddie and talked with her mother and she is very credible. And very concerningly, the way that Maddie's case was reported by Pfizer as part of the trial documentation was that she suffered from functional abdominal pain. By my analysis, this dramatically underestimates the impact on this child's quality of life and the impact that it had on her family also. There's been an epidemic of sudden death in 2021 and 2022 that was brought to our attention by the insurance industry, which noticed excess mortality of about 40% in the workforce in the working age group. This is a once in a millennium event. Furthermore, millennials, the people from age 25 to 44, saw an acceleration of excess mortality in the second half of 2021 to new all-time highs a stunning 84% above baseline. I encourage you to read about this in Ed Dowd's book, Cause Unknown. Notice that this information comes from a lot of different sources, including the Society of Actuaries Research Institute, Britain's Office of National Statistics, the European Statistical Office, and the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. All these various places are finding the same results. Now, benefits are questionable about the value of giving COVID jabs, especially in children. I'll remind you that COVID injections do not protect granny, as we were told. Even in the original trial, there was no indication of stopping transmission with these injections. In the Pfizer pediatric trial, there was no data to show that the jabs stopped transmission. When we look at children 
most of them have already had COVID. So adding the vaccine leads to a, an extremely marginal improvement in their resistance to this infection. When we look at the seroprevalence of antibodies from the illness itself, and then compare it to the advantage of adding in a vaccine, the curves show you that there's very little improvement in the child's odds of maintaining an antibody response. So it really does not help them very much to get the vaccine if they already have immunity. It's a minuscule effect. Furthermore, the vaccine efficacy drops off by about two to three months in pediatric patients. And then there is this effect of negative efficacy. And this means that the vaccinated are actually more likely to get symptomatic infection than the unvaccinated, negative efficacy. So for Kids Corner with Dr. Liz, I hope we've given you some good food for thought as you think about potential implications of your decision whether or not to give your child the COVID vaccine. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. Bye.